this already. But that's a very live one. Yeah. Okay. So all you have to do is step up, look out, find a friendly face, smile, breathe deeply, and watch. Okay. All right. So come on and have a seat with me, please. I hope so. Welcome, John. How are you?
Good morning. Happy New Year, and welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. Uh, wonderful to see such a large crowd here on such a day. Uh, good way to start the year. Uh, I am John Messenger. I'm the presiding elder this morning. Uh, please take the pew pads that are on the aisles and fill them out and pass them along so, we can, uh, so you can greet each other and we can greet you. Um, there is a wonderful spread of coffee hour in the fellowship hall after church, after the service, so please join us for that. And I would call your attention to all of the announcements in the bulletin, but particularly the uh, next Sunday, January, Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, January 8th, the uh, confirmands are delivering food to the Pittsford Food Covered as part of their program, and we're soliciting, continuing to solicit donations. Uh, so any time this week, you can read the details in your bulletin, but uh, please feel free to bring some in. Did you, you weren't trying to get my attention to it. Okay, good. And uh, with that, our worship will begin with a prelude. Please join me in our responsive call to worship. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Glory to God in the heights. Praise God all the angels. Praise God in the Praise God, sun and moon. Praise God, all you shining stars. Fire and hail, snow and frost, storm and wind, let them praise the name of the Lord. 
kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Glory to God in the highest. Pray with me. Holy God, we come before you in the early hours of New Year. As fresh with possibility as the new year we come to worship our Savior. Overwhelm us with hope and gladness today. Open us to a brand new reality. To the way things might yet be. Transform us into vibrant witnesses as we proclaim your good news. How often we fail to discern the times, how easily we tear down when the moment calls instead of building up, how often we speak when silence is needed, and how tempting it is to look for a harvest when we have not yet planted. Let us pray for God's pardon. These words are our prayer. O Lord God, 
in the presence of the Holy Child. You have spoken to us with great tenderness, and we have answered with callousness. We confess that we have understood and still refused your call to deal tenderly with one another, to be peacemakers in the earth, to let justice roll down as waters and slake the thirst for righteousness in your world. Forgive us, we pray, and let a new birth of love happen in our lives now as once it happened in a village stall. We pray in the name of the child who is your Christ and our Lord Jesus. Amen. Please be seated, friends. Our Old Testament lesson for today is that which marks time and how appropriate as we begin this new year. I invite you to hear the words from the prophet Kohelet of Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain have workers from their toil? I've seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. God has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, God has put a sense of past and future into our minds, what we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for us to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we live. Moreover, it's God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Boy, I like reading that passage of scripture at the beginning of a new year. And um, I'm just going to let children stay with uh, their families because this is a special New Year's Day, and we're going to have communion together, which is a great way to start the new year. Whenever I think about new beginnings of a new year, this is a time when I think a lot of people make resolutions. Martha and I will probably talk about that a little bit later today. I wear a Fitbit. Tells me what time it is. Tells me how many steps I go up. It tells me how long I was asleep last night. And it sends this all to a computer. When I was setting up my Fitbit, 
I thought, what a great way for resolutions. I should try and walk at least 10,000 steps every day. And then I got that special addition to the Fitbit. Same program. It was a scale. (laughs) And it promised to send my weight off to the computer. But not just that way. As I was setting it up, it said, Mr. Boak, would you like to have your weight posted daily on Facebook? (laughs) So I hit the button that says no. And then it said one word with a question mark. It said Twitter. And I thought, this is not information that needs to be tweeted out to the world every day. But it is interesting, isn't it, to have that kind of accountability if I was to let all of that be posted. It's a good thing that God is patient. And it's a good thing that God is forgiving. (laughs) That's why we have prayers of forgiveness early in the service. We're not too far into the new year. And then I always thought to myself, I can't get too far wrong, but then I had breakfast. And I saw all of the wonderful things that have been prepared by the messengers for coffee hour. And I thought, "Mm mm-hmm, resolutions are hard to keep very long. So I have this suggestion for you. If you're going to make a resolution, make it simple and keep it smaller than you think. Don't say, Lord God, I'm going to promise to pray every day all year long. Try this. Lord God, I'm going to pray for others and act on your behalf to care for them today. Let's try doing that just one day. And then you could try doing that again the next day. At least that way you'll know you get through one day, right, of keeping your resolution rather than giving up before you get too far. Well, it's something to think about at the new year.
You know, Bruce, I think your mouse report's particularly apt for this morning because I think about beautiful Miss Ashley Finkbeiner and Caitlin McElvaney, who are here with us in our chancel this morning. I think they may have been in your brain as they were preparing to lead worship this morning because they are indeed helping us to pray for others. And we give thanks for the confirmands who do that with us the first Sunday of each month. Our scripture reading for today, the epistle lesson, is Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 18. You'll find in it a lovely adjuration for each of us as we start this new year to be brothers and sisters in Christ, a basic resolution that we can make together. I invite you to hear God's word to each one of us. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You're probably aware I like to read stories from the Bible, but this is not necessarily one of my favorites. Now, after they had left, let's make sure we know who the they are, the wise men. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, 
Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in the town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It said in Rome on New Year's Eve, there is a tradition of literally throwing old things right out the window to start the new year free from the past. When I read about this tradition, I considered it might not be good to, to kind of hover for a while underneath the window of a multi-level apartment building in Rome on New Year's Eve, particularly if they had some of that heavy old Italian furniture. According to writer Patricia Ferris, it's a little different in Mexico. One New Year's Eve, she and her husband were in Mexico, outside of Mexico City, small village. It was late in the evening, not yet midnight, and the central square of the village where they were visiting was full of people. There were lights, kids, music, dancing. In addition to all the usual things, there were souvenir stands and people were selling all kinds of stuff. But what really seemed bizarre was this one row of stands where they were selling inexpensive pottery, mostly clay plates. The people would buy the plates, and then they would stand back and throw them with as much force as they could muster against the side wall of the great cathedral that sat in the center of the city. They smashed the plates. Well, it was loud and raucous and exciting, and according to Miss Varus, only later did she learn that this tradition grew out of a deep human need to throw out the old and start the new year free of old resentments, old fears old prejudices, old sins, 
Throw them out, she writes. Let them smash against the strong fortress of faith and be done with it. But for those in the church, we say, well, welcome to worship on this first Sunday of a new year. Maybe you're throwing out the old things. And one of the things I'd like to throw out is this story from Matthew. I mean, some of us probably stayed up late last night. Hardly seems possible that all over the country, only about a week ago, we were putting on Christmas pageants to tell the story of the nativity. The cast of characters may vary, but always there are three individuals at the heart of the story, Mary and Joseph and the baby. Then usually there are angels and shepherds. They come and go in various numbers according to the size of the congregation usually for the pageant. Wise men sometimes show up bearing gifts or they might hold off a little until Epiphany. There may be an assortment of barnyard animals, either real or portrayed by kids in costume. The ones who portray by costume keep the sanctuary a little cleaner. There might even be an innkeeper who says, sorry, no vacancies, and slams the door. But there's one figure from the biblical narrative you rarely ever see portrayed in a Christmas pageant. That's King Herod. He's just too nasty. He's too mean for a holy night. It's common from Christmas Eve to Epiphany to read the story from Matthew about how the wise men came to the court of King Herod, asking where they could find the child born king of the Jews. Herod, of course was the real king of the Jews. But he was too crafty a politician to show his hand early. There was intelligence to be gathered. And if these naive foreigners could be enlisted as spies to lead him to this king of the Jews, so much the better. He sort of wondered if his security protection had been hacked. This paranoid king had his palace closest advisors consult with religious leadership who scoured through scripture to find any indications about the arrival of a new king or about the appearance of a star. Fortunately, the visitors from the east were not slackers in the intelligence department. They could see right through Herod's swarmy hospitality. They returned to their own country by another way. That's where our Christmas Eve reading from Matthew typically ends. It's part one of a two-part story. Nobody ever wants to read the second part on Christmas Eve because the details are too horrific. Wise men dropping off baby presents is one thing. What comes next is rated R for intense violence. It is not the sort of thing we want our children to hear before heading back home to put out a late snack for Santa. Visions of sugar plums were about to be replaced by very bloody nightmares. 
Herod is enraged. He learns that the Magi have now given him the slip. And so he sent his stormtroopers to commit an atrocity worthy of Hitler's SS. They were to break into every Jewish home in the region around Bethlehem, pull every male baby from the arms of their mothers, and cut their throats. Believe it or not, there's a Christmas carol about this woeful business. One of my favorites, actually, because I like the tune. It's called Coventry Carol. Ironically, it's one of the most achingly beautiful melodies. Herod the king and his raging charged he hath this day his men of might in his own sight, all young children to slay. Then woe is me, poor child, for thee, and ever mourn and say, for thy parting, nor say nor sing, bye-bye, Luli, Lule. Uh, what part does this dark episode have to play in the bright, joyous tale of Christmas? It's a discordant note struck in the closing bars of a beautiful melody. Until now, everything's been rather sweetness and light. But then the fists of Herod's soldiers are pounding on Bethlehem's doors, and the mothers of the city of David weep their bitter tears and cradle their lifeless babes. Herod, at this point, is a bitter old man. He's in the final years of his 41-year reign. He was fully capable of playing such a role in his atrocities. I remember when Martha and I went to the top of Masada. Maybe some of you have been there. It's where every Israeli soldier is sworn in. It's from the top of Masada that overlooks the Dead Sea. Remember, the Sea of Galilee is in the north, and the Sea of Galilee is below sea level. And then the Jordan River runs out of the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, the lowest place on our planet. And then high above the Dead Sea is this mesa. 900 Jews stayed on top of the mesa when attacked by the Romans. Flavius Silvus was the general, and he built a ramp to the top on the west side of the mesa. And at the last, when his towers were pulled to the top and he was going to take the city, 900 Jews jumped to their death over the other side. Well, from that high place, Herod built a palace. The palace hangs over Masada. It hangs down over the mesa, several stories. And the lowest place was Herod's bedroom. He had a double staircase built, one that went down to the chamber and a second one with a wall that went around behind it through which there were slits cut and he would station his soldiers inside that wall with their swords sticking out through the slits so that they would have a chance to cut anyone who would try to attack the king down in his bedroom. He's a very paranoid king. Herod was king in name only. 
Everyone knew who was really in power. It was the Romans who really called the shots. Herod's duty was to do the imperial dirty work, subduing a rebellious colony on behalf of the emperor in Rome. He performed the task with relish. During the course of his reign, Herod had at least nine wives and 14 children. Maybe more. There were probably more, but daughters' births were not always recorded. He put one of his wives, Miriam I, on trial for adultery. And the chief witness for the prosecution was Miriam's own mother, who, it said, testified against her daughter only because she feared for her own life. Herod executed his wife, which led her mother to declare herself queen, charging then that Herod was mentally unfit to rule. This was not a wise decision on her part, because Herod put her to death without a trial. This is one dysfunctional family. And there was more. There were two young sons remaining from Herod's marriage to Miriam, and they grew older, and the king considered them threats to his power. He sought to put them on trial for treason, but Emperor Augustus put a stop to it by ordering the sons and the father to reconcile. A few years later, Herod outmaneuvered the emperor from Rome. He sent a huge financial donation to revive the Olympic Games, something Augustus very much wanted to do, and in exchange, the emperor allowed Herod to execute his sons. Later, though, he was heard to mutter, that is, the Roman emperor, I would rather be Herod's dog than Herod's son. It would be safer. That's not all. After murdering his wife and two sons, Herod named his eldest son, Antipur, a child of a different mother, the exclusive heir to his throne. But Herod could never tolerate a, a rival. He grew jealous of his latest crown prince. He had him put on trial for treason like the others, and then he had him executed. The emperor was so appalled that he refused to allow any of Herod's remaining sons to claim the title of king. And so the emperor created tetrarchs, each governing one-third of his father's realm. Thirty-three years later, one of those, Herod Antipas, would look upon Jesus at last as Jesus stood before him in chains, wearing a crown of thorns. We don't know when it was exactly that the Magi stopped by the palace to pay their courtesy call, but it was probably during this last turbulent year of Herod's life, the year that he executed his third son. Anybody doubt that this man was capable of dispatching soldiers to kill babies? Jesus escaped the fate. An angel of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream, warning him to take his family 
and flee to Egypt. There they probably settled in a thriving Jewish quarter of Alexandria, a great center for learning. It's possible that Jesus spent his early years there and learned Talmud from distinguished rabbis who had made it all the way to Egypt. Surely some of us find it troubling that God sends an angel to rescue Jesus. But lets other babies die. It's another facet of the thorny theological problem we face in our world. It is the problem of evil. It is the question of why a just, all-powerful God allows human suffering. And there's no easy answer to this. But King Herod seems well-suited to play the role of a of evil incarnate. So what's the takeaway? Should we reserve a role for Herod in next year's Sunday School Christmas pageant? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. I don't think Herod belongs in children's Christmas play, but that doesn't mean we forget about him or cut out that section of the Bible. Herod's important to the Christmas story because he helps us remember the kind of world in which we live and why this world still needs a savior in 2017. Even if we've all had a fine Christmas, there are plenty of neighbors on this planet whose lives are tainted with suffering. People for whom the least of their worries is whether or not they manage to get into the Christmas spirit. The hordes of desperate Syrian refugees who have swelled the population, especially in Europe, the small trickle who have been so fortunate to be resettled in this country. A significant number of these refugees are Christians, members of some of the oldest churches in the world, They're wondering if they'll ever return to the land of their ancestors or whether those ancient churches will ever again resound with Christian hymns. I wonder what they thought about this Christmas. And then there are those who are afflicted by poverty in Rochester. I mean, sure, there are lots of neighbors had themselves a Merry Christmas, but a great many find themselves far removed from a vision of perfection and peace that we portray in our cards. Jesus did not come into the world to bring us a midwinter festival of peace and contentment. He wasn't born into a placid Christmas card scene, but rather into the sort of world where families wander homeless and corrupt tyrants rule by deceit. Jesus didn't come to offer respite from the world. Jesus came to save it. As for us, his Christmas-weary disciples, 
We have a role in carrying out that mission using the spiritual gifts that have been given to us along with whatever resources we have at our disposal to make the world better. Maybe if we let Herod stay in Christmas, it will help us to remember our mission and the needs that are there and the families that cry for help. And that's why, Miss Finkbeiner, it's appropriate now you lead us in prayer. Please pray with me. For all we have gathered through our toil, we give you thanks, O God. For all that we have claimed at the expense of others, we beg your forgiveness. May the mission we support through our offerings fulfill your expectations of us. It is in love that we bring these gifts to honor your majesty. Thank you for the witness of shepherds, for the faithfulness of truth keepers, for the transformation of enemies into friends. In all that you accomplish, we are open to your spirit. Receive our lives as we dedicate these gifts to your service. Amen. On this, the dawn of the new year, as we make resolutions, as we proclaim that which God has given to us and turn it over in gratitude, may we recognize that we are consistently nourished in body, mind, and soul. May we recognize that God does this out of love and that we can do the same for others out of that same great love. 
Come, friends, be nourished, for all is prepared. Please join me in prayer. Holy Lord God, creator of the world, giver of all good things, we thank you for calling us to this table that we might be fed here with spiritual food. We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus, who is light in darkness, the savior of all, who was born in a poor place, but now who rules the world, who is Lord of lords and King of kings. Lord God, we give you thanks that he was faithful in his life, that he faced anger and hostility, was murdered by people he loved. We praise you that he is not dead, but has risen to rule the world and that he is still the friend of sinners. Lord God, we trust him to overcome every power to hurt or divide us so that when you bring in your promised kingdom, we will celebrate victory with him. Remembering the Lord Jesus, we will be taking this bread, sharing this cup, announcing his death for the sins of the world and telling his resurrection and his hope to all people. Great God, give your Holy Spirit in the breaking of this bread so that we might be drawn together, joined to Christ the Lord, receive new life, and remain his faithful and glad people until we feast with him in glory. We ask it in the Master's name. Amen.
on the night of his arrest, our Lord and Savior took a loaf of bread, as I do ministering in his name. And after he had done what he had normally done, which was giving thanks to God, he did something unusual. He broke it, and he gave that bread to each one of his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Out of obedience and gratitude, we do.
It was near the close of supper when our Lord took the cup and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. And he added, As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. Behold the cup of salvation poured out for you. Drink you all of it.
Well, I hope you had a great new year. And what a wonderful way to start it, right? With communion around this table. And we do that knowing that there is some grief among our congregation of those who have lost loved ones in 2016. Among them is Bill Reith, who's lost his dad. Bill Reith. Bill Bell passed away. And Carol mourns, and the funeral for Bill will be Saturday afternoon, this coming Saturday, at um, the Miller Funeral Home. Pierce Day died. Passed away in North Carolina, and the flowers that will be here um, next week will be in his name. Deb Matricia lost a cousin in a car accident. And those are hard things for us. But at the same time, we rejoice. Because these flowers are here, the Browns realized that it was 50 years ago they became a part of this church family. What a wonderful witness and testament. And it's Victoria Burlick's birthday today. So if you see her, wish her a blessed birthday. I thought we should be in prayer for our mission team headed off to Louisiana. And Jeanette, it's nice to see you here this morning. I know you got up to pick them up and take them to the airport at 4 o'clock. I used to think to myself, the only time I should get up that early is the morning I'm scheduled to be shot. <laughs> but you delivered them, and they're on their way, and they'll be in Baton Rouge helping restore lives of people whose homes were ravaged by flooding there. And we need to remember them in prayer this week. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, you want us for a sunbeam to shine for you each day in every way to be pleasing at home, at school, and at play. Living light of life, source of illumination all, we've gathered on this first day of the new year and festival of Christmas to worship you in gratitude for your wondrous gift of revelation to us and to the world. We've come from the darkness of all that stands between us and your love. And we've come together in our common quest for that which gives meaning to all of the mysteries of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the certainty that we can trust you to guide and care for us, not only in all circumstances, but especially in our futures. We thank you that we are free and empowered to choose what is good and true and beautiful. We do pray for the joy and enthusiasm as we celebrate your incarnation and our communion this morning to share the good news entrusted to other believers too. We pray for a clearer expression of who we are as disciples and what we are to do. 
And we pray, O God, for the courage to rise and shine the light of Christ into earth's shadowed places of violence and hatred and oppression and fear. Lord God, we pray for those in the shadow of illness or death that your light will dawn in their consciousness and that you will hold them. Especially today do we pray for those who have lost those whom they love so deeply. We pray, O God, for a hope for those uncertain about their identity as your children. And we pray for enlivened, energetic new commitments for those in every latitude and longitude who greet this new year and who share the desire to share the message of Jesus that it is love that will transform and redeem your intentions and make the world a brighter place. Lord God, we ask it all in the humility of the newborn babe of Bethlehem who grew to be a man and who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
It's fun to think about a new hymn for a new year. And James, I'm glad that you reminded us that now the work of Christmas begins as you played it while we had communion together. Well, it's true. The work of Christmas doesn't stop here. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you very much for serving communion. That's not Happy New Year. Not all that often that you get to do this as a husband and wife serving communion. That's really kind of special and kind of nifty, actually. It's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is your first communion to do that. And do you know what the word deacon actually means? You're not going to like this, but it's really good. It means table wiper. Yeah, it's one who serves others. And actually, when you're serving communion, it is one of the times when as a deacon you're really serving. I don't say this much. Being a deacon is my favorite office in the life of the church. Yeah, true. Hi, Bill. Happy New Year to you. Yeah.
basically takes all the oxygen out of the 